Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 p.m. or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. If you believe everyone is destined to do something, you just have to figure it out. Ruth Lindeck Foreman will help you do that in her book, Soul to Soul, Connection and Communication. With 60 years experience in the field of speech and communication, she is uniquely qualified to point us in the right direction. Hello. Hello, Alice. What a pleasure. <laughs> Where are you? You're out in, uh, I think, in California? Yes. And my husband, Lee's with me. Hello, good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are. How you doing, Lee? I'm doing okay. Okay, so we're going to talk about your book, Soul to Soul, Connection and Communication. Yes, we are. I uh, grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, my parents fled Nazi Germany. Uh, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood. And uh, one of the events that really changed my life is when I was seven years old, and I was riding a bus to YWCA swim lessons, and across the aisle, you know, in a window, there's a banner up there, and it said, "Endure, dip, dash, pedis." Either way, it makes no sense. And I believed it then, and I still believe it. And from that moment on, I could sense prejudice against people of African heritage long before anybody else saw it. So um, that's the beginning. Then we moved out here. Lee and I moved out here in uh, in 1963, and we raised our family out here. And you know, um, let me just share something. It's the first page of the book, and it is, uh, it's um, called Dedicated to My Family, Friends, and Colleagues Who Have Supported My Life's Journey, to those who have touched my heart and trusted me to touch theirs, and to those whom I will never meet but will touch with the words in the book, and we will be spiritually connected. Basically, um, the purpose of my book is to really, um, you know, we're gifted one lifetime. And my purpose is for the desire to help people live more joyfully, passionately, and genuinely as who they are and who they're meant to be. So if they don't already recognize their destiny, my book will certainly help them discover that. The entire purpose of the book is to enlighten, inspire, and uplift, to promote well-being, civility, inclusion, in hopes of finding commonality. The book is a lifetime guide with contents that are 12 pages long. It's a forward-thinking, easy-to-read book, and I purposely wrote it that way. So a senior in high school, or especially individuals who speak English as their second language, or those who want to learn more about individuals from other cultures, the reader uh, definitely gains an understanding and appreciation of people who appear. Notice the word appear different. Um, the read includes anecdotes, ideas woven, uh, ideas woven connections to nature, and socio-political issues such as racism, diversity, the support is by science. The references are 17 pages long. Look, it's about 500 pages. It took me um, 27 years to get this all completed. Did you say 27 years? Yes, I did. <laughs> to put all this together? Yes. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, you brought all of your experience to the table, all of your education to the table, all in the hopes that we can better know ourselves and better communicate. Yes, um, that's part of it. But the most important thing that I think I want people to do 
is that I declare that each person has the right to define who they are. And this is best defined by what is in a person's heart and soul as a matter of the human race. In this ideal, I also affirm that each person has a right to live their dreams and that they matter. And one of the key statements in the book is that at each moment we choose to respond positively or negatively, insensitively or sensitively. Likewise, we honor, we choose to honor or dishonor ourselves and others. And these are our choices and they are a formative facet of our character and the energy we radiate or what some people call, uh, you know, your aura. Okay, so let's start. You know, I, I, I'm drawn to the four sections of the book, and I think an example of each section might be in order. We start with soul-to-soul connection. Tell me what that is. That is really the most important. I mean, I believe that whoever created me created you, and I feel very passionate about this, so you might hear some tears, um, created all of us. And so that's number one. Then we have to really source connect. We have to connect that to our spirit so we feel that. And when I'm speaking with you now, my eyes are closed and I'm connecting to what I sense your essence is. So that's really, really important. And if we do that with every other human being, that builds a commonality with everybody. What do you sense? You know, you can walk into a room or someplace and you can sense some, you know, whether you want to be that person or you don't want to be with that person. It's all about the energy they emit, right? Well, okay. So that brings up a question in my mind. And that is, you know, when you have a feeling that someone, you know, is rubbing you the wrong way, you can't really quite put the finger on it, but there's just something about that person. Is that the negative energy coming from them and can we trust a quote-unquote feeling like that well here's 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 where the lenses come in okay the personal lenses okay if you are a person who is prejudiced you've already got that lens covering so they can't come in pure right right so basically you're robbing yourself you know the possibility of meeting another beautiful human being and you're certainly degrading the other human being okay and this is, I mean, I devote 100 pages to the lenses, and there's 60 of them. This is, I will be known for two things, the hand dome, and this is why each person feels, speaks, reacts, and writes that they do at every given moment. And the source voice and the hand dome were just things that were, you know, that as I was typing, the words just came down to me. I mean, I really feel I'm a messenger for all of this. And so anyway, the hand dome, so the, your thumb represents your uniqueness. And that is, you know, your your positive aspects and the flaws. Some you have to accept, but some of you really need to work on. Then the next, your finger represents your emotions at the time. And the next one is your past experiences. And then the next finger, your ring finger, represents the values and communication style of the neighborhood you grew up in. I mean, of your primary family. And then the pinky finger represents, you know, the communication style and the values of the the neighborhood or the hood you grew up in and every time you speak and i go through a lengthy you know discussion of this in the book you're coming from a different place right now i'm coming as a writer a professional but also as ruthie because i'm sitting at home with my husband so um this is really important and this gives you a greater understanding of yourself and others and one of the uh, deans at the university who asked me to rewrite the book, this is the part he liked the best because 
everything in, that I write about it has to work for you and me. Otherwise, we create another problem. And so that duality, um, and also, you know, what Thich Nhat Hanh calls, you know, the interconnectedness of everybody. So it's very strong on that. So that's uh, the handle. Okay, so going back to personal lenses. Right. All right. Identify, block, move, delete, replace technique. What is that? This, okay, this is, these things just came to me. All right, you have, there's generally one thought that you have immediately. When somebody speaks to you, you know, mine still is, and it's about 95% gone. What did I do wrong now? Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So some people, am I smart enough? Will I fit in all these lenses? And there's, like I said, 60 that I, you know. So what you do is you um, you take the lenses and you write them down, you know, the ones that you want to work on the most. And then you write down and then you really consider, you know, that means to identify and then you block where, where that was. Where did that come from? Generally, it came from something long ago. So then you take it and you put it over to the side. You literally take your hand and lay it down on the side, okay? Then you, then the IBM, then you move it to the side. Then you kind of evaluate and start writing down, what have I achieved now that doesn't make this relevant anymore, Okay. And then you, and that's when you hit the delete button and then you replace it. So it's been IBMDR. Oh, yeah. I see. So, I mean, how do I do this without your guidance? If you're not, it's in the book. I know, but I think I need you with me. <laughs> well, you know what? Let me tell you something. The audio version is almost there. Oh, you know, okay. And 70, you know, pages left to go. Oh and my then God. Up, and uh, then people can really follow it. Yeah. But, you know, you can really talk to yourself into it or have somebody read it to you in the book. Right, 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 right. Because I think that's a big one for a lot of people. I think everybody has something like that. Yeah, where you just can't get past something that it's not serving you well anymore. It's making you feel bad. It's making you feel inadequate. Right. It's making you feel upset. Like, and, and, and we're all, like, stuck on something and what a great technique to be able to get rid of that because how else can I grow if I can't get rid of what's blocking right. me? Yeah. And you know, there's some people that I've asked years later and they don't can't even remember what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's which, wonderful. Which great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. So. so let me ask you a question. Where do you, where are you feeling it when you don't feel good? I can't even like, I don't even know if I can talk about this on, on this public program. No, it's either, let me tell you something. It's in your head. Then you're thinking about it, but it has to be somewhere in your gut. You know, the, the people, some people can't even find it, the, the source. And, and I teach in the process, you know, what brings you joy? If it's a golf swing, fine, whatever it is, just keep nurturing that, that I can just feel it very strong right now. It's basically, you know, right in uh, a little bit above my belly button. We have people in the neighborhood who are very politically different than me. There you go. Right? Right. Okay. Okay. And um, there's something good about them. We had nice, you know, situations when the children were growing up. We were very close. So I'm just cordial. I say hello and I smile, you know, and whether they smile back at me or not, at least I am feeling better doing that because I want to stay positive. And here's what I write in the book. You would not give your car keys for somebody to drive away. Right. 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 So why, why do you let them take your spirit and, and dampen it or do something with it? 
Do you want to be in a negative space or a positive? I want to space, be in a positive right? space at all times. Then you choose. That's when I say. Then you choose. Right. And you're also honoring yourself when you do that. Okay. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So soul to soul communication. Now you've got so much in this forty communication topics. I mean, yes. How do we put that in a nutshell? Well, you know what? It's a. Let me tell you something. It is a lifetime guide. First of all, what I suggest is, you know, you read the, um, you know, author's journey and the epilogue because it gives you, you know, how do I get here? How, you know, how did I get here? Basically, then you go through the references, you know, the contents in the front and you kind of look at which ones you want to focus on the most. Okay. Okay. But communication is how we, how we communicate with each other. So we really need to know this, right? right. It's, it's the ones that the humans have, you know, verbally. Okay. And then uh, also it builds up for the last section, which is the soul-to-soul intercultural connection and a, a communication because it gives them, a, you know, a, a groundwork, a base. And so I, and when I start to read the second, the, the final chapter, I say, don't do it unless you have read this chapter because it really expands on nuances and examples of people. A lot of stories and marriages about different people. You know, there's my story you know, as a professional, then there's narratives about people from many walks of life all over the world. Um, and then there's also science that's in there. Right. Okay. So it's a lifetime guide and, and it takes you six months to really read through it. And people who read through it, they just go back to a certain lens or a certain something over and over and over because as life changes, the situation changes and they just want to refresh their mind. All right. So I like this, um, appendix solutions to maintain harmony so to, right. to get to this point obviously you have a lot of work to do before you get to this point oh wait 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 wait! don't say that it is a, a process process okay just don't let perfection stand in the way of good or movement okay i see i think we're too harsh on ourselves if it isn't perfect oh my goodness well none of us are perfect so if you're making progress forward sometimes it's two steps forward one step backward but at least you're moving in the right direction so what i ask everybody please don't be hard on yourself even when you identify that you have a prejudice attitude be kind to yourself as you're coming out of it. at least you're aware and that's the beginning you have to be aware to care and if you care you are aware but don't beat yourself over the head because you're not there yet right people do that well it's hard well you have to learn listen i'm 82 i've learned a lot right? <laughs> i wasn't like you go what girl really changed my life. <laughs> what changed my life the most was when i moved to nevis yes because we live in a local village and there they accepted me just for who i am you know with all my issues with all my health sensitivities they just did and the people at the university of cal state northridge also do it but I wasn't like this when I was young. It was a growing process. How did you wind up there? I mean, it sounds like there was so much personal growth for you there. I'm going to let my husband share this. Okay. Hi, Lee. Hi. Well, one of my, I'm a CPA. I'm retired now. Uh, but a client of mine called me one day and said, you know, uh, I owe you a little money. I know you've been helpful to me. Um, so I'd like to offer you um a free week in the island called Nevis at a hotel. I said, well, you know, Ruth is sometimes kind of particular. Can you tell me a little more about it? 
he said, well, there's a new Four Seasons that opened Nevis. So I figured, well, how bad can a Four Seasons be? So we accepted it. Um, so we flew to the island and I'll let Ruth continue from there what happened for the next several years. Well, we stayed at the Four Seasons and there was a, a you know, tour guide and his name was John Johnson. And we, we remained friends with him even when he went into the Fawn Bowen house. And he drove, and I'm gonna cry about this, and he drove past the Jewish cemetery. And in the 80s, we traveled with our children. And once a year, we went overseas to Europe, you know, stopped in the major cities, you know, you know, went on a tour that, you know, dealt with Judaism. And it was always like it was the scourge of the land. But he said, and this is our Jew cemetery, with such reverence that to this day, the hair stands up on my, on my arms. And we fell in love with the people. And we had a tour guide that is now considered one of his, his U.S. parents. We've known him half his life. And we just kept going back and back and back. And then we brought the children back. And then we bought land. You know, Gail, our daughter Gail, you know, the one that's the author, said, why don't you um, buy land here? And I was sitting there on the beach just watching the clouds go by. And I thought, God, I've never been, you know, so quiet and calm in my whole life. And that is still the place where Lee and I call our spiritual home. And you just have to go for it. I think you missed the point about the Jewish cemetery, Ruth. It's not an active Jewish cemetery. Right. It's um, colonial time, burial sites, both in English, Spanish, and in Hebrew. Um, so, so it's considered a historical site. And some of these stones go back to the 1600s. Oh, my. 17. That's amazing. You were really drawn mm -hmm. to this place, though, weren't you? Yeah, we are. I mean, that's our home. It really is. And I mean, I talked to my island grandchildren, you know, um, I was talking to her yesterday about the book and she said, Nana Ruth, you always said, I love you, but we have to, have to go home and work on the book. The <laughs> 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 so leave really is my husband Lee has really given up a lot of, you know, can't travel, can't do. Um, and I thought there were so many books that were, you know, the final copies. And I sent them to, you know, leaders at the university. Uh, one person said there were 20 of those. So when it finally came out, I'm still kind of in awe that it's happened. You know, <laughs> The first person that endorsed it, Sylvia Alra, mm -hmm. she's now the executive vice chancellor of the entire California State University System, which is like the largest system in the world. And I met her because of a breath of fresh air. If you, you know, if you get the, uh, the ebook, you know, it's Google breath of fresh air she came in I, I was donated to my department you know it's the uh, department of communicative disorders and sciences for speech pathology to get, you know, get my master's degree and the chairman asked me why don't you just give you know i was giving a thousand dollars a year from the mother i money at her for my mother and uh, he says well, why don't you give you know five five thousand and then you know, we can do an endowment. And that's how I met her when she came through that. And she became friends and she came to Nevis for 48 hours. And then I did a seminar for her. Then I did a seminar for uh, Dean Michael Spani that asked me to rewrite the book. And Dean, Dean Michael Spani is recognized internationally. And um, then also um, then uh, Dean Webb of our department uh, asked me, uh, to bring up a presentation called Salient Features because he could not understand. He liked the book so much that he had his administrative staff form a book hub and he couldn't understand how everybody had a different view. This is the hand down. And a lot of people go through the world not understanding why people don't think like that. Dr. Jamali endorsed the book and that he said he never thought of that before. 
<laughs> and he said that changed his life because a lot of people don't do that. So that's what I'm saying. I think the hand dome and the form and approach to identifying prejudice within ourselves are going to be the most pertinent of the book. And this thing just has taken off for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm going to, you know, let things slow down. I told myself nothing until after the 15th, but I'm going to tell like the law enforcement in Louisville, Kentucky, that's so terrible. I'm going to try and get one to the person who's in charge of diversity, you know, with the Department of Justice. Yeah. Um, you know, even, and, you know, even maybe, you know, Dr. Jill Biden, because, you know, I'm a big supporter of, of the party. Okay. And, um, and the director of superintendent of schools, you know, for the state of California. It has a wide range. You know, anybody, any human being that really wants to improve their life and also wants to get to know their fellow countrymen and the fellow universe. And it's, it's very spiritual. It, it really is. It's, I, I see you almost as a life coach. Whatever it is, you know, it's, it was what I was meant to do. Yeah. You know, and I've always loved writing. And then, of course, our stories with blind Eileen and don't guess because I call her blind. This is how she prefers to be called. If anybody gets a d- digital book, just, uh, you know, search her and search Nevis. We would not be who we are had we not lived there because they are always positive. They have a 98% literacy rate. And the only thing they complain about is weather and politics. <laughs> weather and politics. Well, we can relate right. to that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give that author sitting out there right now, sitting on the fence, should I write the book or shouldn't I? Here's what I tell people, okay? Okay. Start from your heart, right? Okay? Okay. Doesn't matter whether you think what's it going to be like or what's it going to do start from the heart and then just start writing okay you can edit it and you know sequence it later okay and you also have to kind of be aware of what your flaws are all right and if you're a young budding author or if you're a senior you know of the silent generation don't be silent and i recommend you uh get something called dragon naturally speaking by nuance okay and there's something that Toni Morrison um, said, and I can't, I'm not quoting her directly, but she said that if there's a book that hasn't been written and you'd like to read it, you must be the one to write it. Because I went way out on the limb on prejudice. And a lot of people says, you shouldn't do that. I said, you know, it's in my heart. I have to do it. So listen to the advice of other people, but do what your tummy voice or what I call your source voice inside of you tells you to do that way you will never have any regrets all right Ruby. Okay. thanks so much Come from the heart. that's where you have to start <laughs> thank you you have a great day thanks alice bye-bye bye-bye and you can check out more about ruth lindick foreman and her book soul to soul connection and communication at positivecommunication.org Speaking of positive and finding the silver lining in a difficult situation, check out D.L. Krieger and her story, Rylan the Happy Kangaroo. D.L. Krieger. Yes, that's me. What do you do when you're not writing? I work for a bank and um, I work in the legal department. Have you always been a writer? You know, I've been writing since I was 14 years old, just poetry, short stories. Um, Never really done anything with it, Um, but I've always just had a passion for it. What happened was that um, three years ago, my little grandson, Rylan, whom the character of the book is named for, he was born and uh, he's just been just such a joy but he has cystic fibrosis and he was diagnosed with that at two weeks of age and so with covid coming on and the cf he stays isolated for the most part 
Um, he lives with his mother and they live with my mother, which is 86 years old. And um, he's just isolated, but he just, anytime he has an opportunity to see another little child or whatever, he just wants a friend. And his mother and I would take him for walks around the neighborhood and um, little children would line up around the neighborhood and they would wave at him and he would try to get out of his stroller. And one evening when we did that, it just occurred to me that he just wants a friend, but he's he is different because of his CF. And I went home that night and wrote the book. Oh, sweet. So how does the story go? Well, it's just about this little uh, kangaroo that embarks on this great journey in search of his heart's desire. And that's just to have a friend, someone that accepts him. And just someone to have great adventures with. And uh, he encounters a lot of rejection, like we all do in life. But he just never gives up. And that is my grandson. He never gives up. He he faces a lot every day with his CF, things that he has to go through. And he just never gives up. And he's just the same as the character in the book. Can you give me some examples of some of the difficulties he overcomes um yes i can at the first of the book he um, encounters this beautiful butterfly and he follows her and she stops and talks with him and he just expresses how he wants to be her friend but she explains that they're different so they cannot have that friendship you know she flies in the sky and he walks on the ground and because of those differences they cannot be friends so you know that that's a rejection it makes him sad and he goes on and um in the book he'll he'll encounter a frog that he tries to become friends with and the frog explains to him that he lives in the water and you know that he walks on land and so therefore they can't be friends again rejected um he encounters a roadrunner and um at the end of the book he encounters a squirrel that um in fact the squirrel's also looking for a friend and Rylan explains to the squirrel, but we're different. You live in a tree and I live on the ground. And the squirrel explains to Rylan, the kangaroo, that it's their differences that will make them great together. That is so great. Boy, that's a, that's a great lesson, no matter who you are, where you're from. That's how I feel. You know, we, we all encounter rejection in our life, but, you know, what would the world be like if we could just all accept each other and love each other you know in my opinion they talk about what's short in the world and i just feel like we're short there's a shortage of love and understanding i would agree with that and how's he doing he is doing very well his mother takes very good care of him it, it takes a lot he has a lot of good doctors down at children's hospital in little rock arkansas um and actually the book was dedicated to my grandson and all the children that walk through the door at children's and um because they're all just so special you know and they they have to encounter things during the day that the rest of us we don't have to we go on with our day but you know they're fighting for something you know whether it be cancer or cf or whatever challenges they face is there a book available to them there <clears throat> i did take some books down there and i believe that they did put one in their library and i I took some copies down there and just asked that they pass them out first come first serve. Um, actually, I did go do a reading at the library. They and um, I donated a copy. Um, they allowed me to come and read to some children. It went very well. The local newspaper came and covered it, and they did a story 
on me and um you know explained in the <clears throat> in the story about you know how that the book was inspired by my grandson and so it was a it was a nice article and the most wonderful thing that came out of that article is i received a phone call from the newspaper one day and they said the director of the cf foundation for arkansas had contacted them wanting my information and i told them i said of course give that to her i'll be glad to speak with her and so she called me and now I'm involved in the foundation. I've set up a team island to go walk at the Great Strides Walk, something I've always wanted to do, but I never was quite certain how to get involved in it. But I, I wanted to do something to give back, to, to try to make a difference. You know, I, I feel like you were almost destined to do this. <laughs> I, I felt that way, too. Um, I felt like it was a God thing. And... Um, Anyway, I just feel like I've, I've asked myself the question many, many times, you know, why is my grandson here? Why is he suffering the way that he does? And, and he doesn't suffer every day, but he has to go through his therapies and take medicines that he doesn't like to take. And he's still young enough that he doesn't understand. And, um, you know, I've often asked myself, why, why? And, um, and I thought, you know, if we can... CF is such a rare disease, and I didn't even know what it was until I was faced with it in my personal life. And if we can just get the word out to people about what it is and help with that, you know, that that's a that's a good journey right there. And, and maybe that maybe that is his journey to help with that. And yours. And mine. And uh, a couple of the news stations over in Northwest Arkansas, they actually, um, and you're welcome to Google this, um, they actually did stories on us and aired it on the news. And uh, one was um, Good Good Day Northwest Arkansas, and the other one was 49 News with Allison Wise. And uh, But anyway, I think the caption was, Grandson with CF Inspires Book. Oh. That's wonderful. So, yeah, so. That is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, are you going to keep writing? Do you yes. think there's more children's books in you? I do believe so, and I never really thought that I would write a children's book. It was never in my mind. I've always written, like I said, poetry and short stories and have enjoyed writing, but when he came along, I was inspired to do this, but I am currently working on a second book, and you could say that the book is has been completed I, I need to do a few more things and then i'll submit it to the publishing company that is just great what an uplifting story i mean this is this is a lesson uh for our listeners because so many times i talk to authors who you know never thought that they would be in a position to do something to make the world a better place it's almost like you're chosen, right? You have this grandson, and look what's come out of it. It's a, it's wonderful. Right. It really is. Yes. And all you did was follow your heart. And I did follow my heart. And, you know, had I listened my entire life, had I listened to people, people will tell you you cannot accomplish what you want to accomplish, but you have to keep your, I don't know, you have to keep your dreams close to your heart and away from everyone, if that makes any sense. And you can't listen to those negative voices. You know what? There's, um, there's a quote that, that has stuck with me my whole life, and it's, um, hold fast to your dreams, for if dreams die, 
Life is a broken winged bird that cannot fly. Wow. That gives me co-chills. Me too. And I think that sums up your experience right there. And I can't wait to talk to you again and see, you know, what you end up doing down the road. Well, I hope to do something really wonderful. And, um, you know, I just hope to honor my grandson and his journey. And um, if I can help another little child, if they can read that book and feel inspired or happy, then, you know, I'm happy because children, you know, um, they are the future and we need to invest in children. You you said it. Without them, where are we? Yeah, yeah we're nowhere. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this interview. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this was great. I, I appreciate your time. And uh, you have a great day. Hey, you do as well. And that quote, by the way, is by Langston Hughes. The book, Rylan the Happy Kangaroo, D.L. Krieger. Thanks so much. Our next author, John F. Pogstat, will surprise you with his book, Dear Kleine Lump, The Little Rascal, about a little boy who grows up during World War II and the Great Depression, but in the end is so grateful for the way he grew up, despite the difficulties. Hello. Hi, John Pogstat. How are you? I'm good. Is this Alice? It sure is. Okay. So what do you do? What do you do for a living, or what did you do for a living? I was a farmer and an engineer. Wow. I was an engineer to pay for my farming. We had a cow-calf operation. We had a very beautiful setting overlooking Seneca Lake. Mm. So we had an idyllic setting. It was almost like Walton's Mountain. Wow. Uh, And then I had the job, which gave pretty good financial security. So we had it very good. Great. So when did you decide to start writing? Well, that was after after retirement. Okay. Uh, I'm 90 years old, so I had a lot of time to think about it. John, you don't sound like you're 90 years old. Not even. Well, I, I feel I feel sort of fortunate. I, uh, for the last three years, I've ridden my bike for at least 2,000 miles a year. That's amazing. So, That's why you're still on the ball, because you're still on the bike. <laughs> well... There, age is starting to show on me. I can feel thankful for what I am now, but one of the things that hurt, and I think I'll mention it, uh, is I my eyesight, I got macro degeneration, which came on pretty fast. Hmm. And it's not just uh, blurred eyesight, it skews the letters. Yes. So a B looks like an F, or it could look like a P. Hmm. So, uh. at any rate, overall, I feel very grateful. What made you decide to write a book now? I'll note that I actually have three or four books, and in, in, I've uh, at least three books behind me yet, and that's what <laughs> I don't know if I'll have, I don't know if I have enough uh, age to finish it, but I sure hope I can. So, um, what what inspired this book? Well, I I think you go go back in time. There were two two issues there, and the one issue was uh, I thought I knew my mother. She was in plain dress with a prayer covering, and I thought she had a plain life. One day I asked her, Mom, how long were you and Pop engaged? And her answer floored me, Ein Tag, one day. And I thought, wow. Her plain dress sure belied her unplain past. And I thought, you know, if, if I didn't record that on 16 tapes, I would have no record of it. So likewise, I read someplace that it's best to leave your heritage not in terms of goodies but what you what you learn from your life and so I put the two together and I started writing essentially 
my life and what I learned from it for my children. But then when I shared it among friends and relatives, they encouraged it in a book. And about three years ago, I had enough anecdotes to put together, so I started to put the book together. What's it about? The book is about their Kleiner Lump. It contains a series of true anecdotes, if you will, about the winsome ways of a boy. Uh-huh. Is it you? Well, it is me, but that, that was what I was leading into. Okay. The wins- I, I was started the book to tell about the boy in poverty. That's what I was brought up in. In other words, I was brought up right, in, right during the Depression and World War II, the harshest of eras, and I was born into a poor family. Okay. So I'm in a poor family in a very harsh area, era, and what do I do? And I remember the wealths. I remember the food. I remember the negatives, and I was going to write a book on it. And I was going to call it the pits of poverty. Oh. So I wrote the book about the boy. That's me. And I was as true as I could. I gave him the wealths, and I gave him the opportunity and adventures of life. And I put that together. And then when I had it all together, I read the book. And I couldn't believe what I read. <laughs> the boy of poverty wasn't there. He, yeah, he 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 had the had the poverty in a in a sense the poverty was there, but he stepped over the poverty and enjoyed a world of wonders, and I, I I couldn't believe it because the negatives weren't there at all. The boy enjoyed the positives of life, what he saw on the other, and 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 enjoyed it beyond even that of his peers. Hmm. So although he was, I think he was the poorest boy in his class. Or, there might have been a girl poor uh, that lived in a shack along a river. Where where did this boy grow up? He grew up, uh, that was another thing, that he grew up in a middle-class neighborhood, and all the middle-class people uh, highlighted his poverty. So that gave him a feeling of, of want. But <laughs> he had a lot of opportunity that a lot of his peers didn't have it. His peers were constrained. He was free as a little boy before he was, uh, before he was even maybe six years old. He spent a whole year, a, a whole summer, down by the riverbanks with his brother, enjoying the freedoms that was enjoyed by Tom Sawyer. And so I thought, putting all that together, I thought, wow, that boy had it good, really good. I would have liked to have been that boy, and so I was. Uh, and so the, uh, the book had two benefits. First, it, it described uh, the woes of, of poverty turned into be the benefits of, of the future. For example, I, I, I didn't like what I experienced, but later on uh, it was like the uh, experience of a uh, a good sailors are made in rough seas. So those rough times prepared me for the future so I could ride out the rough seas with benefit. Also, they showed that I had it good. So that was a very positive benefit to me, the writer, uh, the unexpected benefit to me, the writer, to enjoy those benefits. So what happens to the little boy? Well, it seemed like he benefited from his faith, from his family, and from society in ways that I feel very fortunate that seem to be missing in today's society. So, for example, I was able, I was, as I said, the 
the, probably the one of the poorest in my class. And interestingly, none of I wasn't bullied or any any of that kind of stuff for it. But the society gave me opportunity, and with that opportunity, I was able to uh, attend the University of California at Berkeley, one of the most prestigious engineering schools. As a poor boy, with nothing, you know, society gave me that opportunity. Well, it sounds like it sounds like your genes gave you quite a brain. <laughs> it sounds like you're well, a pretty smart guy. Well. Uh, I got no scholarship, but here's the interesting thing. The Times, I got into Berkeley with $45 a semester. <laughs> I could work the whole summer. I could work the whole summer and make enough money to take me through the whole school year. Right. And there, there again is the woes of poverty came into my benefit. When I went to work in college, I got, for example, as a carpenter, I got carpenter's wages. Whereas the others were getting <laughs> maybe one half to one third the wage that I was getting, huh. or my experiences on the farm with my with my Daisy or family cow allowed me to work on a desert on a dairy in which I received very good wages. Hmm. So I I received I benefited from the woes of my past, and I was given also opportunity. So putting both together, I feel most fortunate in my youth. And also most fortunate now in my. I have a message, and that is, uh, let me go back to Pareto's principle. Do you know what that is? 80-20 rule. Okay. That says 80, 20% of people uh, control 80% of the wealth. 20% of the people make 80% of the problems. So similar to that, what I was doing, I was letting 10% woes of my past govern the 80% of my life. And the book turned that around. It showed that I should be thankful for the 80% that I have and not let that 80% cloud the 20% woes of the past. Everybody has woes. So the message that I got and that, that I learned after I wrote the book is <laughs> don't let the woes of your past dictate uh, and, and cover the wows of, uh, of today. That's a good one. That's a good one. Now, you said that you have written several books. Is there a follow-up to this book? Well, one other book I wrote that I uh, published was called called God Has... It was a book on evolution, but I made a mistake on it, and I wrote it from the scientific viewpoint, but I made a mistake. I, I said God has to be, and it was read by most people as being... Uh, what they call a book on intelligent design, another book on intelligence. But it isn't. So what I did is now is I spent a lot of time, additional time, uh, going through that and applying, just looking at it strictly from the scientific viewpoint. What's the validity of evolutionary theory? And I found it totally surprising to me. Now, it took me a long time, uh, for, for example, to do that, just to just to hit the issue of natural selection took me a half a year. Wow. So I spent a lot of time on that, and I used my systems engineering experience to write that. I don't think I could have written that book without the systems engineering. So I wrote it, and now I have another, I essentially have the draft almost finished for publishing. That takes what my previous book to a whole new level <laughs> that, that uh, I think... To me, it is from the engineering is totally impossible for evolutionary theory to do what it said, said it does. 
and that is life is the most complex interdependent system known to man. And to think that just random forces without any intelligence did it is just pushing pushing the envelope too far. Do as I look at it from the work potential to workload, or I look at it from the engineering and show from the engineering totally out of the picture. How How is the situation with your eyes going to affect your ability to write? Well, I'm right on the borderline of being legal. Uh, of being legally blind? Yes, but I, I am I am on, on the safe side, so I can still drive. But uh, I went to sleep with the car that I had. And it was with a new car. And uh, I went to sleep on it and wrecked it totally, so I'm waiting for a new car now. So right now I'm without transportation. You went to sleep while you were driving your car? Yeah, that's the first accident I had. In, in my whole life. Wow, John. And uh, I, it was, like most accidents, I was only a couple of miles from home. Yeah. I, and I thought I could make I knew I was a little sleepy. I thought I could make it, but I didn't. Oh, John. Listen, you hang in there. I don't know many people at the age of 90 that can accomplish what you've managed to. Well, I, I, one of the things about the accomplishments, I feel good about the book. It's an accomplishment, but I look at it sort of like a farmer that looks at his plowed fields. It's a sense of accomplishment, but the, the fruit is yet to come. The harvest is yet to come and the marketability. And that's the way I look at the, at the present book. It gives me a, a real sense of satisfaction for it. And I hope right now I've gotten real favorable feedbacks from my children. Great. That, that's that's big. Even, uh, so, uh, and I've gotten good feedbacks from other writers. Some of them some of them said every time he came over, they wanted me to share an anecdote with him. Aw, so can you share an anecdote with me before we sign off? Okay, let me see. Uh, boy, there's a lot of them in, in the book. That, I know, pick out your favorite that, one. Well, I don't know if it's, it's a favorite one, but it's one that's most mysterious. Okay. And it starts like this. We attended a mission church. Mm-hmm. And it was in a poor section of town, which normally is crime-ridden. We had a panel truck at that time, which my father kept his tool. That's what we went in. Okay. On one, and for the longest time, this is what's un, un, unexpected. For the longest time, he left the keys in his panel truck. Normally, that in today's society, it wouldn't last very long at all. But for no. years, he did that, and eventually, the inevitable happened. It was stolen. And so uh, uh, he, he finally got word of it that it was picked up in Tennessee. And I was maybe 13 years old, and he asked me to go along with him. And I thought, wow. I never was more than 50 miles from home, and now I would go through Ohio, to, through Kentucky to Tennessee. Wow. <laughs> I died and went to heaven. So uh, on the way down, I couldn't believe the poverty on the white side going through Kentucky and the poverty on the black side. It was still segregated. Uh, the society was still segregated. The poverty on the black side was atrocious. It was, it was hard for me to imagine. And we finally got to Tennessee, and there was a sheriff that was just right out of the movies. <laughs> he told my father, hey, if you want to go back out, we'll look the other way. So I remember him saying that, and he looked like a sheriff of the movies, you know. But my father wanted to get his truck and get back. So on the way back, he asked if I wanted to drive. 
I wanted to drive. My goodness, I was 13 or something like that. Why is he asking me to drive? Driving is the most wonderful thing that I could possibly experience. And so I drove through Tennessee, Kentucky, and home. And now for the unexpected. When I went to my brother and started explaining to him what I enjoyed on that trip, he said, John, you did not go on that trip. I went on that trip. I said, Bill, you couldn't. I remember in detail all of it. John, I don't care what you're in. You did not go on that trip. So to this day, I have no, no answer for why both of us are so adamant. Because I remember it so clearly. <laughs> and it had such an impact on you. So if you didn't go, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, so, uh, so it has a, an influence. I was going to check out some of the incidents in the book that I wrote. And I thought, if Bill says yes and I say no, who, who am I going to believe? So I wrote it as true as I could to the ways as I remembered it. All right. Good one, John. Thank you so much. Okay. You did a good job. Just uh, take care of your eyesight and be careful driving, will you? <laughs> yeah. And still, still, I, as I say, I still feel very fortunate that even the macro degeneration, when I look at scenery, I can't really see much difference because the eye does a wonderful thing. It took me a long time to figure it out because I look at a fence and, or I, let me say, I look at a white stripe on a line and I won't see the white stripe, but I'll see the road underneath the white stripe. Hmm. So the eye does something very wonderful. It Rather than giving you a blank, Macro degeneration is where the nerve cells die out. Right. And so the optic energy doesn't go to the brain. Mm-hmm. So that dies out. And rather than leaving a hole there, it takes the information about the hole and fills it in. Wow. I think that's really fantastic. It is. That's really amazing what the, what the human body does. And I look at that. I take those incidents, for example, and I try to make it happen by evolutionary theory. And there's absolutely no way. But my challenge now is... is is it still needs to be uh, put out to the open public for uh, for challenge, if you will. Yeah. All and right. It, we, you, it was very nice meeting you, John. Okay. Uh, Thank you. If you have anything further, feel free to call. I got your number. I will. All right. With so many predicting the end of the world, we could use a message of hope. And that's exactly what Charles offers in his book, The Next Testament into the Adulthood of Civilization. Hello, Charles. How you doing? Okay. Thank you for thank you for calling, Alice. <laughs> you, you got it. Charles, we're just going to go by your first name. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you'll see, the verse writer, Charles, is, is really a pseudonym. And while I should tell you that the name myself and I behind Charles, that's me, is in a, my late 70s. And then I feel that I've been very blessed in life, retired from a very pleasant and I felt good career of teaching. And for many years, 40 years, no, a teacher of high school and, and college and and uh, just felt very comfortable in it. Felt that I gained a lot myself, probably more than some of the students. <laughs> but but yeah. What did you teach? Um, I taught English, and uh, which okay. which helped me in the, you know this writing business. And right. And um, and uh, you know move forward. Also, I had studied history, so it sort of fits in uh, with right. with what we talk about in the book. So. 
Did you ever write anything like this before? You know what? I've tried my journal. I, I have journals and has and spent a lot of time writing journals. But, you know, this business, I mentioned college teaching. I taught rhetoric at the university level. And, and again, I learned much more about writing um, from what I taught than maybe even the students did. I, that's a little bit uh, self-facing here, but but the, the fact is I, I felt I learned a lot from my teaching and, and hence I'm able to sort of put things together. And uh, also I've been, uh, I felt cre pretty creative in, in what I've done. So, so with that sense, that's preparation time, right? So what precipitated the writing? At a certain point, let's say after retirement, I started thinking, finally thinking, actually rethinking, okay? The truth be known, I watched too much news, uh, like maybe everybody does. And I started to love watching all the nasty stuff going on all the time. And I started rethinking, is there ever going to be world peace and unity? Is it possible? Will there be equal opportunity for everybody? Okay. Um, so that sounds pretty, let's say, philosophical. Um, but I took a little bit different bend than the philosophical, I think. I, I went through and I chronicled, I believe, the evolution of mankind through the uh, Testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Is that where the next testament into the adulthood of civilization came from? Yeah, I, I frankly, it, it gets what seems to be figurative here because um, I see the creator, Okay, and, and that could be the creator or um, God or Yahweh or Father or Abba or whatever someone might call uh, the supreme being. But um, I started to see the creator as parent. And looking at the Old Testament, for example, uh, there are lots of cases in the Bible of the caring, the, the loving parental guidance, the saving, saving the Jews out of bondage in Egypt as well, the saving in the New Testament of Christianity and, and such. So I, I started to, to look at the fact that God really cared, you know, and enough to give the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule, to love each other as you would have them love you, that sort of thing. And so I, I saw that as part of the evolution of civilization was God's entering from time to time to try to help uh, things along, keep us on the straight and narrow on the North Star towards getting better and older and more sophisticated. And you know what's, what's weird? It, it took 7,000 years of civilization. And, and then finally, um, maybe several hundred years ago, all of a sudden, in very short order, we have democracy, the end of slavery, um, women's suffrage, we have civil rights, all of a sudden packed into the end of, of what we see of growth towards what I call adulthood. Um, things now are getting better. We're getting more mature. We're starting to look at each other. And the fact that we care or we understand that these are issues is new. In the old days, uh, slavery was just taken for granted, okay? Or women's 
mistreatment by men just taken for granted. But but now it's it's uh, it's like we look at it and we say we we can handle this. This is good. And no way that uh, we should have been doing that. And we're not going to do it anymore. So uh, all I'm saying is that the book, The Next Testament into the Adulthood of Civilization, chronicles the next steps after this portion of the finally getting it right, finally getting democracy right. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of ugly stuff going on, but I think we're on the verge of getting it right. And when we get it right, then we're going to be ready to step into the next testament. And that's what it's about, basically. What do you see as the most crucial next step? So um, it starts with a section on, in fact, the major section, to civilization. And it's simply recounting the fact that uh, that, uh, things have been bad and they can and are getting better. And again, the 7,000 years of civilization, give or take, whatever it is, um, those years uh, were real slow going. A lot of nasty stuff was going on and God kind of stepped in and, and helped along. And now we're to this verge. And then there's another section um, on uh, to the cells of civilization, which is a little bit more personal, a, a look at pretty much the same same thing. And then um, after that, uh, then we get into the the expectations of creation for civilization in the next testament and the expectations again i i I can tell you what the big one what is that you kind of mentioned you you wanted to know what's the the most crucial in the long run all of civilization should be responsible for their own but as well everyone else's self-actualization um everyone else's happiness. It should be incumbent on everyone to take care of everyone else in the sense of helping them get to what they should be doing in life. Not, you know, the lower gifts of physical things and um, emotional things uh, kind of pushes towards, but the real thing that we should be doing to help civilization um, be its best. I guess it's the body politic of civilization is what we refer uh, to it as, but but uh, that's, uh, that's basically the crux of it with the uh, crucial aspect there at the end. I mean, it's a very hopeful view. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, we're they're waiting for the end of the world. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? yeah. and you're you you have this hopeful, positive outlook that things have gotten better and things are going to continue to get better, and you know that's a that's very hopeful. And and hopefully it makes the case that it's possible that it's it's in God's plan. Um, it wouldn't make sense that God would just create people to be unhappy. You know, I think God is, is uh, as parent especially, is hoping that his children will grow up into adulthood, into being able to use freedom, um, not freedom to do whatever I want, but, you know, freedom to, to do what's right. So I think that would be the expectation of the creator. And I don't think that he just leave it hanging. You know, it, it ain't going to happen next. Okay. I don't, I don't think he'd have it that way. I think that 
the creator would like to 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 think in terms of his expectation to make everybody self-actualized and part of of the body politic of civilization um, happily and and so that's that's where it comes from and and uh, you know I don't know if that again makes any sense but uh, of course it does I've also found uh, teachers uh, both of history and of philosophy and and of in the future some of theology where I'm thinking that it would be a good idea to put it out there because it's at least an interesting discussion in history and philosophy and theology for one day, okay? But it might even turn into a course for, for somebody. So then, of course, then you're able to start to sell some books there. That's the next step. Great. Are you going to keep writing? Is there something coming after this? The next in, in the series, in fact, it's it's very well underway. It's uh, It needs to be pulled together, but... Um, it's called The Ways and Means of the Next Testament. And um, what that is, is, you know, how to go about this. How are we going to possibly step into equality for everybody and, and uh, ability for everyone to be happy? Um, so that's what it addresses. It's, a, it's an active step. In, into the next testament so so yeah and and uh I, i've claimed in the back of this book that it's going to be out this year and and that's the plan and i think i'm able to pull that off all right great charles you know we can all use a positive message today yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's nice to hear and 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 uh, i do have a, a website i don't know if okay what's your website the next testament dot net all right, Charles. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, I, you know, it's obviously in my favor. I do appreciate it. And I appreciate your touch. Thank you. No problem. You have a great day. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Alice. All right, Bye. Charles. Bye-bye. And we hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore where independent new authors come first.